0: You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit VineyardAugusta.org. Good morning. How's everybody? Yeah. Super glad to see you guys here. Those of you guys that are on Facebook Live and in the cafe, glad you're here as well. My name is Roger Otero. As she said, I'm the associate pastor here. If we've never met, come say hi. We'd love to meet you. Um, Today... Uh, we, we're, we're in kind of week two of this sermon series that Pastor Reese kicked off last week. This sermon series is called Living Hope. And last week, we started this off on Easter Sunday. If you missed that message, highly encourage you to go uh, check that out. Listen on our website, wherever you download your podcasts, you can find it. Um, and today, I've got a message for you guys called Hope in Doubt. And so just over a year ago, I, I began to venture out. Maybe many of you had this experience. Just over a year ago, I started venturing out. We, we began in our household to run short on some like basic necessities. Right? We began to run out of things like milk and eggs, um, fresh fruits and vegetables, mac and cheese, right? <laughs> toilet paper. Anybody remember the toilet paper hunts, the great toilet paper hunts of 2020? I've got an Instagram of myself somewhere where I found one little four-pack in Walmart. Like, it was, it was a gl- glorious day. Um, but I'd put off this trip for several days. Um, but finally, like, necessity pressured me. I had to go out, so I made the literally two-minute drive to Walmart. And, and I remember um, sitting in the parking lot of Walmart. Like, it was, like, eerily empty, you know? I, I, remember, I remember fiddling with my yard work mask because it was the only mask that I owned. You know, I'm fiddling with my little paper yard work mask thinking, this does not feel medical at all, you know. Um, I, I, but it was all I had, so it had to do. I, I remember sanitizing my hands with a b- little bottle of hand sanitizer that one of us got in our Christmas stocking. It like smelled like gingerbread or something. And, and I, I, remember, I remember walking into the store, I remember the stillness in the air in that store, just feeling so strange. I I remember the oddness of only seeing other shoppers' eyes, you know? It it was like I had walked into some, like, ward of the hospital that you don't want to be in. I remember how weird it felt walking down the aisles, and and people would, like, scoot way to the other side, you know, just trying to avoid me. I, I, I remember, really, like, and I'm not an anxious person, but I remember my heart kind of pounding with anxiety, right? Like, I... How fast can I do this? How how quick can I get home? Something something that felt so common, like doing a quick grocery run to Walmart, suddenly just felt like a tremendous risk. Like I was really laying something on the line. Danger was lurking everywhere, so it seemed. You know, you couldn't see it, but you knew this danger was there. And like, would would I catch it? Would I fall victim? Um, would would I be followed home? I remember having this strange feeling of like, is is it on my hands? Is it on my shoes? You know, know, everybody wipe down your groceries. You know, remember those days when we thought you could just wipe down your groceries? And I don't know, all those things, it was really kind of the sense of would our safe refuge get invaded? And so many of you have these same kinds of memories of a little over a year ago. Perhaps many of you, like me, took those same trips. The lot fell to you. In my family, it kind of had to be me because you can't make your kids do that. I mean, you can, but I like my kids and I want them to keep liking me. You know, I don't want them in therapy 20 years from now. You know, when the pandemic hit, my dad made me go to the grocery store, you know? And I could have made Angela do it, but honestly, I was the one that usually did all the grocery shopping. So so I went out and I did it. And so many of you, maybe you took those same trips, risking so much just to get your hands on like a few necessities. Now imagine for a moment that scene in your life But imagine a surprising scene when you got home, okay? Imagine this. Imagine you come in the front door, your arms are full of grocery bags. Finally, finally, you're beginning to breathe normally, your pulse is slowing down, you're calming down, and, and your family comes running up to greet you at the door, like hardly able to contain themselves. They're so excited, and they just say, you, you're not gonna believe this, you're not gonna believe this. They, they came by with shots, they figured it out, and health department people came by with shots for everyone, and we're safe, and it's all gonna be okay. Imagine that, your, your, your head is spinning, like excitement and bewilderment and disappointment, like all bouncing around inside of you like a pinball machine. Like, excitement because this worldwide threat has been, like, neutralized suddenly. Be- bewilderment because uh, this cure for such a mysterious new disease was found so quickly. Like, how, how is that even possible? I can hardly believe it. And, and, but then, like, disappointment because you missed it. Man, why did I have to go to the grocery store, you know? It almost, it almost like sounds too good to be true, almost too true to believe until you see the, heart, the health department people for yourself, until you get the shot yourself. And I think perhaps more than any other time in all of our lifetimes, perhaps more than any other time in our lifetimes, we're coming to today's text, maybe able to really hear this post-resurrection story in the way that we're meant to hear it. Here's today's story, John chapter 20. And, and this is one of the crazy stories we get after the resurrection, right? If you're following the lectionary, this is just the story that's meant to be read today. Christians all over the world today are reading this story. John writes this, beginning of verse 19 of chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Risen Jesus, we thank you for these stories, these mysterious, wonderful stories of these 40 days after you rose again, that you, you walked around and you met with your disciples, we thank you for the season of Easter that we're in, these other 40 days, plus the 10 when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in Jerusalem, that, that we can enter back into that story. And Jesus, we just invite you this morning by the power of your spirit to let us hear your voice. In the same way that you showed up behind these locked doors and spoke peace to your disciples and empowered them to continue your mission, would you, would you just step behind our locked doors this morning? Step into our lives. Let us hear you. God, let us hear you today by your spirit. I pray that your voice would speak much more loudly than my own. Amen. Amen. So today we're talking about hope in doubt. And and, and in my opinion, Thomas gets a really bad rap. I think Thomas gets a really bad rap. And I would say that Doubting Thomas, right? We call him this. You guys you guys familiar with this? You remember the little flannel graphs, you know, in kids' church when you were like three, right? Doubting Thomas, I would say, is an unfair nickname. And Doubtless Disciple is an unbearable weight. I think this is true. Doubting Thomas, it's an unfair nickname. And Doubtless Disciple, that we then take on ourselves, it really is an unbearable weight. We, we talk about Thomas. Um, sort of like as a second-class disciple. You guys ever get this sense? Right, like second only to Judas, the betrayer, right? Like Thomas has become the poster child for not what to not be as a Christian. You certainly don't wanna be like Judas, but, but you probably shouldn't be like Thomas either, you know? Pick one of the other 10 to be your role model. But in my opinion, doubting Thomas, it's an unfair nickname, and it creates this unbearable pressure for us. It's left many Christians, I think, over the centuries unable to even acknowledge doubt to themselves, let alone, like, say it out loud to anyone else. One of the most difficult things, I think, for many of us as believers to admit is is that we have a doubt, that we have questions that that maybe remain unanswered, uh, questions that kind of are really unsettling to us. However small or large, however significant or insignificant, however fleeting or nagging, it's, we, we want to just, like, shove them aside. And I don't think that's a weight that the Lord wants us to carry. Now, not only does Thomas get a bad rap, but because of this, and oftentimes because of this very story, doubt itself gets a bad rap as well. And I think unnecessarily so. So one of, the, one of the top three most influential women in my lives, right, the, in my life, the the two most influential women in my life are my mom and my wife. The third most influential woman in my life is an author named Flannery O'Connor. Any Flannery O'Connor nerds in the house? Ooh, man, uh, Southern Gothic writer. She was devoutly Catholic. Catholic, really, really strange. If you're not into strange dark literature, like probably just don't read her. But she formed me a whole lot. But she writes this in one of her letters. She said to her friend, "Don't expect faith." to clear things up for you. Don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It's trust, not certainty. I think we we need to understand sometimes what the Bible means when it even talks about faith. The Greek word for faith is a word called pistis. and, And what it really means is it's about trusting. It's about trusting a person. It's not about having a clear answer to a question. Um, Faith doesn't bring clarity to something that puzzles me, but it gives me someone to trust in. Um, And I think to expect faith to do anything more than that is is perhaps to expect faith to do something it never promised to do for us in the first place. I've heard it said that, that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but certainty is because certainty but believing something without any doubt at all we just we see it 100% clearly it, it leaves no room for faith uh, certainty leaves no room for mystery and christianity if nothing else it is intended to be a mystery that we enter into and that is just progressively revealed to us Faith, isn't, faith is not a matter of, of, give, of understanding. It's not a matter of giving mental assent to a creed, you know, like checking off all the boxes of believing the right things, but it's a matter of trusting in and committing to follow a person. Faith, before it's anything else, faith is relational, not informational. This is why Reese last week said, hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Hope is not alive because we have a whole bunch of like, here's here's five bullet points for why hope is alive. No, hope is alive because there is a person that we can trust in, and his name is Jesus. Faith, faith does this. Faith peers into the fog of uncertainty of our life and says, I don't know what lies ahead, but I know who it is that's walking with me. This is what faith does. And what hope does, hope, hope leans towards faith like that from a place of doubt. Hope is the ability to say, Here's, here I am with my doubts, with my questions, with my uncertainties, with all the fog around me. But it leans towards faith and trust. Now, as it turns out, as we get to this story about Thomas, who we unfairly nicknamed Doubting Thomas, I think, Jesus, as it turns out, has some really good news for Thomas, and he has some really good news for all the disciples, and he has good news for you and me as well. And I just want to share with you guys three bits of good news that I think Thomas heard from Jesus in this encounter, and and that that you and I can hear as well if if we will just listen to him. the The first bit of good news I think that Thomas heard from Jesus is, I understand your hesitation to believe. I understand your hesitation to believe, Thomas. There, there, and there's some clear reasons. There's some clear reasons from the Bible that all, from all of the post-resurrection accounts of the, of, of the Gospels of why I think this was understandable to Jesus. Before we move on to some of the other ones, though, let's just consider what we just read from the book of John, right? And he says this, remember, on the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, right? They're, they're on lockdown, out of fear, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This may seem just like a simple fact, but, but I think this is powerful. It's significant that he just wasn't there. And my question is, why not? Why not? Why wasn't he there? Where did he go? Why would he dare venture outside when they were all in this self-protective lockdown? And we don't know. We don't know. Now, this was the very first day, right? This was, this was Sunday. They had just heard that morning that Jesus supposedly rose from the dead. But by this evening, they're still locked down. And my guess is maybe it was like getting late and in their rush to go into hiding, nobody thought about dinner. Or maybe they had enough supplies for a couple of days, but then like all of us, they're running out of toilet paper. Yeah? And they're like, Thomas, you're usually the grocery guy. He's like, dang it. I am usually the grocery guy. We don't know. The fact remains that Thomas simply was not in the right place at the right time. Huge bummer. Imagine missing out on that. He just simply wasn't there. He just simply did not get the same face-to-face interaction that all the other disciples got. Now, unfortunately, if we only read this account, if we only read this bit from John, we can get a skewed picture that feeds this whole doubting Thomas thing. We can can get this assumption that all the other disciples were filled with some sort of superhuman faith, but that Thomas was not, you know, that they're all just like, oh, well, we believe. And Thomas is like, I'm doubting, I don't know. But we're going to consider what the other gospel accounts have to say about this. Check this out. Matthew 28. This is Matthew's story. Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They're up on the mountain. Jesus is there, but some are like, no, 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 I don't know. For real? Some doubted. Apparently, not just Thomas, right off the bat. We got to catch this. Check out what Mark says. Mark chapter 16. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. And by this time, apparently he's a little bit annoyed because it says he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. They... All of them presumably did not believe what Mary, what Mary told them about seeing him alive. They, again, all of them did not believe the other two disciples either. And then finally in 14, he had to rebuke them all for their lack of faith and stubborn refusal to believe the testimony of these others who had seen him. It's not done. We're going to read Luke also. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because, I love this, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It's like you get home from the grocery run and they say, the health department came by and gave us all shots. Nonsense. Didn't happen. And note, I think this, I think this is important. They, they, plural, all of them, did not believe the testimony of the women. It may be helpful for you to know that in the first century, um, in, the, in the ancient Near East, the testimony of women was considered unreliable. It's just like a cultural fact, right? Women were not allowed to testify in court, right? Oh, you were an eyewitness? Don't believe you. Why? You don't got the right parts. You know, this was it. So these women, this is important. The way, this is patriarchy at its worst, right? But notice this, it's worth noting, the way that the gospel writers themselves are writing, they are subtly undermining this cultural norm by clearly portraying the women as the only ones who immediately believe the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. High fives women, right? They were the first evangelists. Why? Because they were the first ones to believe. That's it. And on this point, I love it because all of the other gospel writers, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them were these guys who did not believe at first. And I love the way they're writing They're being totally self-deprecating by painting themselves as faithless. But they're also being countercultural by painting the women as being faithful, reliable witnesses. Luke goes on. He's not done in chapter 24, Then the two, he has the longer story of the road to Emmaus, right? The two guys walking down the road. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this mid-story, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. This does not count as belief, right? If you think he's a ghost, you're not really believing that he's alive again. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, they're starting to come around. It's joy and amazement, but they still don't believe. He asked them, you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it in their presence. <laughs> they think it's a ghost. So he says, why do doubts, plural, rise in your minds, plural? He can read their minds. He knows what's going on. He gives, them, he gives them all the opportunity to inspect his scars, right? Check out my hands, guys. Like this doesn't just happen, you know? And they're still not completely convinced. So he eats lunch. Now, putting all of these stories together, John, where we get doubting Thomas, where we started, all these accounts from Matthew and Mark and Luke, putting all these together make two things really clear to me. The first is simply that Thomas was not the only one to doubt. So we can just maybe cut him a little bit of slack. Maybe we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Thomas was not the only one to doubt. Second, 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 it really seems to me that doubt is not as big of a deal to Jesus as it is to us. Jesus has compassion on Thomas. He's he's not exacerbated with him. He doesn't blast him or any of the others for being like this terribly faithless person, barely worthy of being a disciple. He understands Thomas's doubt. He understands all of the disciples' doubt. He understands my doubt. He understands your doubt. If we get a picture of Jesus that he is not understanding, we're picturing the wrong Jesus. So I think this is the first thing that that Thomas got from Jesus, this good news, that I understand your hesitation to believe. The second bit of good news that I think Thomas heard from Jesus is your doubt does not disqualify you, Thomas. I get it, but don't worry. Your doubt does not disqualify you. This is why I think sometimes we as Christians are extremely afraid of doubt because if we voice a doubt out loud, then suddenly we're disqualified and we're not allowed to teach kids church anymore or we can't play on the worship team anymore or they're not even gonna let us into small group anymore, right? They'll probably still let us tithe, but like we'll be cut off. We're ostracized, you know? But Jesus says to them, your doubt does not disqualify (laughs) you. Jesus does not write off Thomas on account of his doubts. Nowhere do I read in Jesus this sense of serious disappointment in Thomas. I just don't think it's supported in the text at all. I think we have to read that into it. He doesn't say, he doesn't go, oh man, you know, listen. You know, you you guys are already gonna have to replace Judas. Let's just replace Thomas while we're at it, right? He's clearly a loser, Right. We, we, don't, we, need, we don't need any of that faithlessness around here. Just get a twofer. You know? If he was to kick Thomas out on account of his doubts, he would have to kick out all of them. And he would have to kick you and me out as well. Yeah, it would just be all the women. That's right. <laughs> Let me just say, this is one of the reasons why I love the vineyard and why that we value women in ministry, why we believe in women in ministry, because they were the first ones to start actually doing it. Just saying. I'm going to get off topic real fast if I don't read this. What we might suppose was Jesus's attitude when he was offering his, to what, his hands to Thomas. What was his attitude? All too often, I've, I've heard this story preached or read sort of with like, disdain and disappointment in Jesus's voice, right? Like with a deep sigh, rolling his eyes. He's like, okay, Thomas, if I must, you know, fine. Okay, check out my hands, my side too, if you have to, just just hurry up, get it over with. That doesn't square with the Jesus I know. That doesn't square with the stories that I read of him meeting his disciples again and again over these 40 days. He knows exactly what Thomas needs. He knows exactly what you need and he wants to give it to you. He knows exactly what I need to hear from him and see from him, and he wants to give it to me. It doesn't disqualify us. If we go back and we keep reading in these gospel accounts, immediately after these stories of all these doubters, here's these other stories that happen. Matthew 28, even though some of them doubted, Jesus gave all of these disciples what we now call the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, all you doubters, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. These very same doubters are called and empowered to be evangelists, baptizers, teachers, and they were promised to be those from whom Jesus would never depart. Mark tells the same thing. This is Mark's version of the Great Commission. To these disciples who refused to believe the women who who visited the tomb, as well as those two disciples that Jesus met on the road, he said to them all, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. These very same doubters are called and empowered to be preachers, to kick out demons, to speak in new languages, to heal the sick, They would be those whom Jesus would protect as they continued his mission. Luke says the same thing, guys, to these disciples who through the women, who thought the women were spouting nonsense, right? Because they were women and that's what women do. That's a joke. Don't mean that. Somebody's going to like, yeah, that's not real. Jesus gives them this remarkable promise Looking ahead to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on them. All of these guys. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. The Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. These very same doubters are now called preachers of repentance and forgiveness. They are witnesses, they are receivers of the Holy Spirit who's going to be poured out on the whole earth. If I can sum all this up, I think Jesus is saying, He's saying, You've got doubts? You've got doubts? Okay, I can work with that. But in the meantime, we've got some work to do. Let's get busy. Jesus is not surprised by our disbelief. He's not shaken by our uncertainties and our doubts. Even in the midst of them, he still calls every one of us to apprentice under him, to follow him and obey him. He gives us this hope then that can lean towards trust and faith in him from our places of doubt. So Jesus said to Thomas and to us, I understand your hesitation to believe. He says, your doubts do not disqualify you. And the third thing I think Thomas heard and that I pray we hear is he says, let me help you with your doubt. Let me help you with your doubt. He doesn't just leave Thomas there. He doesn't want to just leave you and me there. This is where I think we most clearly see the compassion that Jesus had for Thomas Because what did Jesus say and do when he he shows up in their presence the second time when Thomas is actually in the room? I wonder sometimes the first time Jesus showed up, he's like, oh, where's Thomas? Dang it. Should have waited a little while. But he comes back. He comes back. And I think he comes back specifically for Thomas. And what does he say and what does he do? He looks at Thomas. He doesn't address anyone else directly. He directly addresses Thomas and says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He offered to Thomas exactly what he had asked for. Which, let's not forget, is exactly what all the other disciples needed as well. He's making the same offer to him that he made to the others. He showed them what he, he showed Thomas what he needed to see, his scarred hands and his scarred side. And he said to Thomas exactly what he needed to hear. Stop doubting and believe. You can trust me now. He's saying, don't get bogged down by your doubts. Just trust me. Here I am. What's interesting to me is this. is despite all the famous paintings, right? You can, all these famous like Renaissance paintings and, and other periods like that. Um, where, where biblical scenes were a really big deal for artists to, to depict. And all of the famous paintings of Thomas, that he's sticking his finger into Jesus' side, right? It's a little gross. It's like doing this. But what's interesting to me is I realized this week, we get no indication in Scripture that Thomas actually did it. He said he wanted it because it's what the other guys even needed. And suddenly Jesus says, here I am. And we get no indication that Thomas did anything. He just blurts out, My Lord and my God. Just the offer of what he asked for was enough for him. And this is what happens, I think, when Jesus helps us with our doubts, right? As O'Connor says, our newfound faith may not clear anything else up for us, but it will make us suddenly exclaim in trust, My Lord and my God. You know, it's often, it's often helpful if you want to learn how to pray. I find it's often helpful to learn how to take, take verses from the Bible or prayers from the Bible and, and just make them our own. When you're, when you're lost for words, this is how we learn. This is how we learn how to pray. And one of, one of what I think is one of the best prayers that, that, that the Bible teaches us to pray is in Mark chapter 9. If we can skip outside of resurrection accounts for a moment. You know, in this story, if you read Mark 9, in this story, there's a man whose son is demonized. And, and it's just, it's killing this dad. This, this demon is throwing his son into convulsions. He's, he's causing him to be mute. And, and it's just horrific. And so he brings his son to Jesus. And he says this. He's like, Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says to him, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cried out. He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I see the same Jesus here as the Jesus with Thomas. Both to this man and to Thomas, notice the way Jesus did not respond to their lack of faith. He didn't say, You terrible, faithless person. I can't help you. Too bad, so sad. He didn't say, stop asking for proof, just suck it up and believe. No, he helped their unbelief. He he just he delivered this man's son from demonic oppression. Just gone. Son is in his right mind. He can walk, he can speak. And he showed Thomas his scarred body. And he'll help you with your unbelief as well. He'll help me with my unbelief as well if we will only ask him to. And so this is a helpful prayer I just encourage you to take with you this week. It's just to pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Doubt, I think, is it's essential for faith. We don't, we don't get to faith by skirting around doubt. It's like going on a bear hunt. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. Oh, no, got to go through it. All the non-parents in the room are like, what? (laughs) It's a children's book. Look it up. It's real deep. We go through doubt. We step through doubt with doubts in hand, saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is where we find hope, because hope has to do with what is possible, what we dare to dream to be true, what we really, really hope to be true in spite of what we may not yet have seen. And I believe that Thomas desperately, really, really hoped that what the women and the other disciples said was true, but he wanted that same relational experience. And I think this is what kept him faithful throughout that whole week. He stuck around. He had doubts, but he didn't run. He didn't bolt. He didn't drop everything and be like, man, you guys are full of it. I don't buy this anymore. I'm out. I'm sleeping in, you know. I think this hope, this desire to see Jesus alive for himself is what kept him around. And that hope paid off. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's just pray that together for a moment here. If it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, there are things that I believe in the depths of my soul are true about you, but there are things which trouble me. Lord, there are things that I believe about your good purposes for this world. But some days I have my doubts. Lord, I believe, Jesus, that you really were the one who died and rose again and is coming once again. And some days I don't feel quite so sure. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief.